Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. Once again, it's been another amazing week in football. And Man United set to appoint Eric Ten Hag. Is he the right choice? And does he appreciate the size of the task he's got on his plate there? If you watched anything of uh, United's dismal defeat at Everton last week, then perhaps he does. Uh, Wembley will host part two of the blockbuster that is Man City versus Liverpool this weekend when the Giants clash again in the FA Cup semis. It's anything like the game they produced at the Etihad last weekend. We are in for another treat. Liverpool can still win a quadruple, while City remain in course for their own treble. It should be another classic. And a classic is what we saw in Madrid as Chelsea produced one of the great performances, only to come up short and go out of the Champions League 5-4 on aggregate to Real Madrid. Chelsea look bereft at the final whistle and have to lift themselves their own cup semi-final this weekend against Palace. But how much will that defeat have taken out of them? And what about the Madison Madrid last night involving Atletico? Literally tried to kick Man City out of Europe. What will that have taken out of City ahead of their game on Saturday? Um, there's also some crucial Premier League action this weekend as the battle for the top four hots up. Tottenham have taken full advantage of Arsenal's mini slump and looked to be in pole position to following four straight wins. They host Brighton this weekend while Arsenal travel to Saints. And United's crushing loss at Goodison Park last weekend has left them with an absolute mountain to climb. It looks like they're not going to make the top four. But joining me to discuss all of this and more, I'd like to say is Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Simon Mullock, Chief Football Writer of the Sunday Mirror, and Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado of the Daily Express. Welcome along, guys. There's loads to speak about in the Champions League, but just before we get on to that, can I just ask you guys about um, Man United? It looks like um, they are close to agreeing a deal with um, Eric Ten Hag. Andy, what... um, what do you think? What, what do you think about this a possible possible appointment? It obviously bring a saga to a close, but might create create a new one in terms of how how he tackles this task ahead of him at Man United. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think the way it's, the way it's actually now being drawn out is sort of symptomatic of the issues that um, that are of concern behind the scenes at Manchester United. You know, I mean, I mean, how come this saga is going on and on? And on, you know, it seems again it's being played out. And you know, oh, well, I understand there's a need for due diligence. I understand there's a need maybe for first interviews, second interviews. But listen, it's a club like Manchester United. You know, you 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 know your man. You go and get him, and you get it across the line very quickly. So for a start off, the alarm bells ring on how long it's taken to actually complete the appointment. Um, listen, I, in in terms of is it a good appointment? Well. You know, I, I mean, he, he's done well. I actually plays a nice brand of football. Um, when people say, "Oh, well, United need a ready-made sort of um, blue chip Galactico manager, a Tuchel, a Klopp, a Guardiola-style figure," that's all well and good saying that. But you know, they're not out there and they're not available. Tuchel is not available um, as much as I'm sure that they would have liked to have done it. So, so they, they, they've got to think um, elsewhere, and then. Ten Hag or Pochettino, personally, I go for Pochettino, but I understand reservations about Pochettino. Um, so if they've identified Ten Hag, fine. But, you know, he's got to be given, I mean, and again, we'll all say it, I'm sure we'll all say it, he has to be given, you know, pretty much carte blanche to 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 do exactly what he thinks is necessary in the time. We've said this before, you know, this, these are problems quite clearly that are going to take years to solve. I mean, literally years. You can't have a squad that's underperforming that badly with players 
who are clearly ill-suited to the demands of football at the very, very, very elite level. You can't just, you know, come in and change that overnight. But he needs, basically, in the same way that, I guess, Ferguson came in and pretty much started, you know, all those years ago when Sir Alex Ferguson came in and thought, well, actually, you know, I'm going to break up the the sort of what I think is the sort of nucleus of players who are the problem here at the club, you, you know, and and I mean he kept Brian Robson in the end, but others fell by the wayside, and and he's going to be allowed to do that if he comes in and, and has a controversial decision to make. Okay, well I don't fancy Ronaldo. Pogba's obviously going to go anyway. You know he's got to be um, allowed to do that, which might mean which might mean if he's if he is quite draconian when he comes in, it, it, it might mean even more short term misery. Um, for the sake of long-term game. But listen, if they've identified him as the guy, fine. You know, I don't think we can start having to go with Ten Hag and saying he's not the right man for the job because he hasn't had this chance yet. You know, so so let's see how he how he does. But let's commit to him. Commit to him, Manchester United. Commit to him for the long term. You know, they're already talking three-year deal. It should be five years. Um, he should get the back end to, to, to hire and fire as he wants, which I think he's doing, and to get rid of the personnel he wants, which, of course, though, is easier said than done, getting rid of the personnel. Simon, he, he, he's got a long to-do list. Ten Hag, what what would if you were him, what would you put as number one on that to-do list when you arrive in Manchester? He needs to start now, really, doesn't he? He really he yeah. needs to start now for next season, um, which uh, you know I don't think will be uh, will will go down too well. Well, in Amsterdam, um, but you know Andy's right. It's, it's, it's all about time. Um, and the amount of time he gets, and he's got to be, and I think this was part of the um, the long negotiation. He's got to have a, a, a clearly defined role. What is he going to be able to do, and what isn't he going to be able to do? Because you know, United, you've got John Murta, got uh, Darren Fletcher. Next season, there'll be Ralph Ranyek offering Matt Judge. Uh, Matt Judge is obviously, you know, is obviously in there. Um, you know. Where does where does he fit into that um, in terms of hiring and firing players? I mean, the list he's got is unbelievable. Who are the players that he can he can look at on that on that squad list and say I can trust them one hundred percent? David De Gea, yeah, put a tick against him. Probably the next one is Anthony Alanga. Maybe Bruno Fernandez. He's just got a brand new contract. The rest of them, there are question marks against you know whether they're up to the job at Old Trafford. Um, so it, you know the the job he's got is huge, and it's all about you know defining his role, and then allowing him to to get on with the job. And there's going to be there's definitely going to be more pain along the way at Old Trafford. I mean, Andy and I were at Goodison Park last week, um, and it was oh no, Andy was at, um, at the Grand National. I was at Goodison Park, and it was shambolic. You know, as soon as Everton scored, it was like United raised a white flag. And I mentioned it to uh, somebody who sat next to me in the press box. United's away support is staunch. It, it's it never, it, you know, they're never quiet. Wherever they go on the road, you can hear them. You know, really loud, really great away support. They were they were the quiet. Those fans were the quietest I've seen United's travelling supporters last week. They, they, and it, it, it they were stunned. They just could not believe what what was unraveling before their eyes and um Ten Hag's got to got to address that and he's got to he's got to bring the club to club together. He's got to sort that squad out. And like I say, I think there's a lot more pain to come before before it gets better for United. Mark, time 
Andy referred to this earlier, time is obviously a huge issue when it comes to the project of rebuilding that team. But unless you're a Guardiola or a, a Jurgen Klopp, time doesn't, it's a real pressure commodity for managers in, in the Premier League this, this, these days, isn't it? You know, rarely do you see managers given five years to to build something and create something. You know, we've seen it time and again at these top clubs where managers come and go in, in one or two years and there's a change and then it's like a, you know, a magic roundabout that just doesn't produce any magic. Do you think United have got got the got the resolve and the and the belief in Ten Hag to give him, say, like Simon said, five years? to really create something because, you know, if that means going three three more years without winning a trophy, are they prepared to go through that pain to get the game? If you appoint someone who you know can do the job, who has the ability to do the job, the qualities that you believe are necessary, like Guardiola, who had an indifferent by his standards first season at Man City, you stick by him because you know he's Pep Guardiola. But I'm going to take issue with something that Andy said. Um... Right at the start, there's no point saying he's the wrong man for the job. I don't see any point in stop saying that because we're going to hear it more and more over the next seven or eight months. And this is a guy, as Simon has, has said, has got to go and tell senior pros they're not good enough, get them out the door, shape a team. He's never done that at Ajax. You know, he's a 52-year-old. He's not, you know, some fresh, you know, ambitious young manager. You know, he, he's had a few years around the block, but but he's never had a job where he's had to deal with a senior dressing room like that. He's had players that have been nicked away from under him before he's had a chance to to really develop them and, and use them. Um, and, and that's always been Ajax's way. But, you know, there's no evidence at all that he can do this job he's being asked to. So if United stick with him for five years doing a bad job, they're going to be in an even bigger mess than they are now. I mean, I think they desperately need to appoint a manager now who can build a five-year plan. But I'd love to see his presentations or whatever it is he's been showing to the United ball because there's nothing in his CV that says that, that this is a guy who can do that. I mean, tell, yeah, tell me I'm wrong. When, when's he ever done taking on a task like United? I mean, they might get lucky. Ukraine elected a, a comedian for their president and ended up with a hero. And, you know, these things happen, but there's absolutely no evidence if things start going wrong next season that he's the man who, given time, will sort it. And and that's the problem they've dug for themselves. To, to be fair, he's, he's got a terrific team at Ajax. You know, they're on course for, for another double. Ajax, when he took over, were in a bit of a mess themselves. But what he did, he, he built a team based on players coming through the youth setup at Ajax. And, and his high, his high spot moment was reaching the semi-final of the 2019 Champions League, when despite virtually having a foot in the final, they managed to lose to Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I mean, question marks it against him, but you've got, you've got to look at the job he's done at Ajax. The, the thing is, he, he, had those, he had those players coming through in abundance at Ajax. United have got this tradition of, of, of bringing young players through. They're in the FAU Cup final again, so they've obviously got some talented kids, uh, you know, on the conveyor belt again. But I'm not sure they're coming coming through in the in the same kind of um, uh, uh, weight of uh, weight that they were, you know, that they were 20, 30 years ago. So, so that's a problem for him. The clear out is is a problem. Like Andy said, it's all very well saying you've got no future at the club, but. Usually, if you tell a player that, it, it it costs you an awful lot of money to get him, you know, to actually get him yeah. out. And um, that is part of the problem. And one of the things United, and we all know that this is how United do business. It's, you know, how good are they on the pitch? Can they do a job on the pitch? And then the, the second thing is, you know, what is their 
what is their commercial value to us? You know, what, you know, can they bring in, you know, a noodle supplier from the from the, the Far East? And and that has got to stop. It's got to be football first. Um, it hasn't since Alex Ferguson left the club. You know, um, Louis van Gaal the other week, you know, mentioned that United is a commercial club first and foremost. Commercial activity takes precedence. Oh, Simon, and that, on that point then, as long as the Glazers, is it safe to say, as long as the Glazers own Manchester United, that club will be more interested in making money than winning trophies and it's irrelevant who their manager's going to be? I think it is. You know, I think I think um, it, it's come to a, a kind of a breaking point now. You know, there's going to be more protests from the fans this weekend. Uh, we've seen it before. The Glazers have always raised it out. And, and you know, they're, they're they're just squeezing United every single year, uh, you know. They get until they can get the the last drop of cash out of the club. You know, we, we've seen how the club has operated since Alex Ferguson left. It has become sort of commercially driven rather than football driven. The, the fans have recognised that since day one. Yeah, Andy. Before we move on to Champions League stuff, can I just ask you if 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 as as we are being told, it is going to be Ten Hag. What do you think they've seen in him that they didn't see in Pochettino? Because I know they've spoken to both both candidates and Pochettino is liked by a lot of people at United, including uh, Fergie. So what do you think what do you think's tipped it in the Dutchman's favour? I, I would I, I would um I really hope it isn't the fact that I suspect Eric Ten Hag will be a hell of a lot cheaper than Mauricio Pochettino. But I suspect that probably had something to do with it. Um getting him from BSG, you know, I'm I'm paying his demands, I suspect even though it might have been higher. I think probably, hey, listen, maybe they've spoken to them both and they've been more impressed by Ten Hag. Maybe they, they're just weary maybe of, of of the fans' reaction, which I think seems to be, and this is only anecdotal evidence from myself and the people I know who support Manchester United, you know, strangely enough, I mean, strangely from my point of view, seems to be more in favour of Ten Hag than Pochettino. You know, the... If Pochettino was doing, you know, a as if he needed to a late audition for the United job, then you know it's gone spectacularly wrong this season, hasn't it? You, you know, in the Champions League, you know, and and although they'll win the, the the French league, you know, they haven't really sort of like you know produced any stunning football, and of course got beaten in, in the French Cup. So, I think the argument that is always levelled against Pochettino, i.e., you know, you've won nothing, you know, apart from where it was the French Cup last year, and you'll win, obviously, the French League this year. The idea that you've won nothing at the very highest level will be, you know, um, um, levelled against him. I also think the reason what they see in Ten Hag is they probably, you know, they, they, they have probably got this idea that he's going to build some sort of, you know, he's not just a, a, a sort of Galactico coach for hire, and the Ten Hag will build it. I mean, I mean, Matt's points about Ten Hag, I mean, two of the points Matt made, but I mean, He's 52, and, you know, you talk about him as though he's some sort of old codger in managerial terms. You know, it's only a recent thing that you're talking of young managers. You know, 52, I remember not so long ago when 52 was a young manager. Um, and, and and the fact of the matter is, it's a good age to be a manager. So the idea that he's that, that he's some sort of like, oh, no, didn't realise he was 52. Well, that's a decent age. No, but that's exactly Sorry, at 52. I'm saying that's an excuse for having very little on your CV. It's been 10 years. If you're 52 with very little on your CV... That's fine. Fifty-two. But, but, but it depends what you mean by little on your CV, Matt. You, you know, I mean, this is a guy who could probably walk in, 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 into a decent job in Germany because of what he did as an assistant. You know, he he's done it the right way. You, you know, he, he's worked his way through the ranks. He's been assistant. He was assistant to Steve McLaren all those years ago. You know, 
um, you know, did his grounding at Bayern Munich as, as well, has now taken charge of a big club. And Ajax is a big club. You know, I think it's, I think it's fairly, fairly condescending in, in our typical, typical Premier League English way to say, oh, well, it's only Ajax. This is Ajax of Amsterdam, by the way. You know, they're not, they're, they're not some Farmers League club. They're not a Mickey Mouse club. And again, it's just incredible. It, it is our nature now. We, we're imbued to do this. Anything that isn't the Premier League is rubbish and it's like, you know, Sunday League football. So what's he ever done? He's manager of Ajax. This isn't a small club. This is a, a club with a great European history and pedigree. And competing he's in charge. In a very, competing in a minor European league. I'm, I'm at, I, right. And, anyway, and, I mean, and, and, and the other thing that you have to, and the other thing that you have to do, if you're going to say to Ten Hag, like, you know, what's he going to see? You've got to give an alternative. So who is the alternative? Who 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 is going to be employed by Manchester United rather than Ten Hag, Donny? Well, I think the United fans, as you say, have shut themselves in their foot by. So who's it going to be? Just give me the name that you I think has all the stuff United on the CV. Turned against themselves. It should have been Pochettino. It should have been Tuchel. It should have been Conte. What's it's Pochettino on the CV? Well, he, he, well, for a start, he, well, the French see, Cup. I'll give him now. Give him now because he will have. Sorry. French league he'll have as well by the end of the season. What well, is the French league? He's also, he also well, built a big league, league is it? At first that took a is team. Is the French league a big league? He took a team that couldn't get into the Champions League and turned them into Champions League finalists over a five-year period. And if we're talking about five-year periods, then United that sort of they they can get into the Champions League most seasons. You know, Spurs couldn't, so they're already a step ahead. So perhaps a step ahead of that is winning the Champions League. If you said to, to me, would United take a manager who could win the Champions League within that five-year period? I think that's, you know, that they'd snap your arm off because there's no sign of anybody, you know, being able to, you know, suggest that sort of improvement. And that's what he did with senior players, dealing with senior players at a senior level, you know, incomings, outgoings, things that Ten Hag just hasn't had to deal with in his career. It's a fact. You know, he's not got that CV. He's done, there are steps between being manager of Ajax and manager of United, unless you're really showing. The only way you show your metal at Ajax um, is Got a team to the final on your CV. Got a team to the final and stunk the place out, by the way, on your CV. Yeah, well, it's still better than... Well, Ajax didn't exactly pull up any trees in in their final, did they? <laughs> to be fair. Well, anyway, okay, I always thought you put things... Guys, I can't TV. believe I'm saying... I'm, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm going to Simon Mullock to be the mediator to calm things <laughs> right. down. Okay. Ten Hag, Simon. Yeah, Ten Hag. Absolutely Ten Hag, because, because he, 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 he builds... He, well, and I'm not saying Pochettino has... That's why I've got orange on. Paris but he's built like Ajax team. He's basically built it from scratch. Um, and the only the only worry that I've got is that United United's board out looking at him as this guy can be pliable. You know, we, we've we, yeah. we've seen with um, with with Rangnick that he, he's gone in there thinking he's got a clearly defined role. Well, you know, maybe he should have got it in writing because you know, almost as soon as he got through the door. You were asking him, you know, what he was doing, what other people were doing, and and he was honest. He's been honest and said, you know, I've not got a clue what their role is. I thought my role was this, but clearly it isn't. You know, it sounds so. He's not had much of an input in even choosing who the next manager is. Yeah. Uh, so that that's that's my kind of one one reservation is uh, have United looked at it not not just at the cost like Andy said, but you know, can can we control this man to 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 
you know, um, sing off the same hymn sheet because you, you can't with Pochettino. Um, you know, I was um, in Shanghai a couple of years ago where um, Pochettino was telling everybody, well, I'm not the manager of Tottenham. I, I'm just a coach. If you've got any questions about transfers or contracts, then you're going to have to go to Daniel Levy. He, you know, he went off reservation on that on that trip. And I just wonder whether that that is part of United's thinking that that um, you know we, we we can't really con- control Pochettino. You know, maybe we can we can have that control over Ten Hag. I hope not, because I think he can be a you know I think he can be good for United if if they give him a chance to do what he's done at Ajax, and, and mm. that's the bottom line. They've got yeah. to get freedom to rebuild the club. Yeah, one thing we do know is that there'll be huge pressure on Ten Hag because if it, if it doesn't work, then it, United are literally back to square one again. Sam, can we just move on to last weekend and this weekend? Because they are inexplicably linked by the fact that it's Man City, Liverpool. We saw a great game at the Etihad last Sunday. I'm presuming you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're going to be treated to another another repeat of that game at Wembley, of all places, this weekend. But just looking back to last weekend, do you buy into the fact that it's one of the great games of, of recent times? I mean, it was a great game, but do you think... Did it live up live up to all the hype? It was compelling, wasn't it? You know, I, I'm not sure the the well the quality was there when you consider the 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 pace and 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 the and the the ferocity that the game was played at, and I think that was the the most impressive thing was it never dropped from the first minute to the last. It was you know they were just going at it you know from start to finish. You know, both teams. I think Klopp summed it up perfectly. It was like two boxers, and as soon as one of them dropped their hands. They got whacked on the nose. And yeah. um, I've got to say, I think City threw a lot more. I think City won it on points if it, if it was a boxing match. And I think they won it quite easily on points. I thought that that was two points squandered by City as it was at Anfield early in the season. And you wonder whether that's going to, those two games are actually going to come back and bite them on the backside. Um, City should have won. Um, they created the most chances. Liverpool again were kind of, re- and, and I, I don't want to word, use the word reduced, but it was just kind of two really classy moments from Liverpool again, as it was in the first game that brought them brought them their goals. You know, City allowed their guard to drop right on right after half time and, and and paid the price for that. But really, you could not have grumbled if City had scored four or five goals. And and I really do think, and I know it's the old you know, the old nugget. But I think if they'd have had it, Sergio, Sergio Aguero would have absolutely filled his boots with those crosses that were flying across the six-yard box, um, as he usually does, or he usually did against Liverpool at the Etihad. And, 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 and I think what summed it up for me was, Liverpool are not a dirty team, um, but when you've got a Rolls-Royce player like Virgil van Dijk taking Kevin De Bruyne out like a combine harvester, then you know that they're kind of hanging on. You know, I thought Fabinho's tackle on Bernardo Silva was a red card because it wasn't a trip. It was a hack at his ankles. And I thought Thiago Silva as well was lucky to stay on. You know, I, I know he it, it was, it was a judge to have been fouled before he made that that sort of um, late challenge on Kevin De Bruyne. But he, he could have he, two clear yellow card offences before even then. And when you see Liverpool kind of having to resort to that, you know that they're hanging on. But at the same token... They didn't get beat, 
and I, and I just think that, that in, in a strange way, that that showed a bit like City last night. That showed what a great team Liverpool are. That they just they can dig in. They're not just all about quality. They can dig in and grind out a result. And and it was a great game. Um, I don't think we're going to get the same at Wembley um, this weekend because I think City are really the last two games have really taken the toll on on City. You could see that last night. But I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll get on to yeah. that. Later. Matt, Matt do you, after the game last Sunday, Pep said that City had kept Liverpool alive in the title race, you know, they'd given them another life. Yeah, they're a point ahead. Uh, the appear to have the easier running. Who do you think that point was, that result last weekend, who do you think it was the better, better result for, Liverpool or City? Um, <clears throat> as a point gained, it was a better point for Liverpool because it does keep them alive. Um, as two points dropped, uh, it's also it's better for City because because uh, you know that they are still in the ascendancy. I think the way the fixtures have worked out, I, I think they're not going to be too disappointed. It's a cup game this weekend because after last night, that did take a lot out of them. You know, that's the sort of game that they might drop league points on if, if that came four days after what happened last night. Um, so they've got time to to recover and get back on it. And I have to say, the way they've both played over the last few seasons, it's hard to see, you know, where the, where the points are going to be dropped. Um, so I think it's advantage City. Liverpool really needed to make a statement uh, by winning that game. And as Simon said, they, they weren't quite good enough. And I think that's pretty much where the two teams are when you when you measure them over the full season. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, Liverpool needed at least a point. They couldn't let City get any further away, but I don't think it's going to be quite enough for them. Andy, we watched Liverpool um, last night cruise through. I know they only they were held to a draw by Benfica because they scored two late goals uh, to gain some respect. But um, Liverpool absolutely breezed into the semi-finals last night. Didn't pick up any injuries on the same night where in back in Madrid City were going through what was a footballing war with Atletico it looked like um, De Bruyne went off injured Kyle Walker went off injured Phil Foden you know ended up looking like a rugby player had his head bandaged up um, what did you make of all that in terms of the approach from Atletico we, need, we, we all know what their reputation is like and they, they push the boundaries they play on the edge if not go over the edge a lot of the time um, is that Bad for the game? No, it's not bad for the game at all. No, it's, it's not. Listen, listen. I, I, I'll, 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 um, I'll bow to the guys who probably watched the game last night. As you say, we were in Anfield last night, and then I drove home, and, and, and I haven't actually seen um, the game. I've seen brief highlights of the highlights, if you want to call it, of the game. <laughs> brief lowlights of the game, um, and obviously we were keeping abreast of that when the sort of when the when the when the kick about Anfield was uh, was. Was going on, but um, listen. No, I mean, how do game? Is it bad for the game? Well, no. It's it's always gone on. You, you, you know, you can't. You've got to have light and shade. You you, you know, you, you've got to have different different hues, different colours, different variations in, in, in how you play football. You know, if if everyone went out and played like City, it would soon become you know a, a fairly sort of um, a dull thing to watch. You, you know, it, it's you have to have um, different ways of playing, and and like you know, wherever. It, it, it might not be, you know, to everyone's taste. It might say, oh, oh, you know, it, it's not particularly nice nice to look at. But listen, it's been going on forever. I mean, this idea that, you know, this type of um, football that, that, that Simeone plays, you know, is anyway a new thing. I mean, it's not. It's, not, it's like when people say, like, you know, oh, you know, diving is, is the curse of the modern game. Well, diving's been going on since the year dot. 
Samuel saying about Franny Lee. You, you, know, you know, I mean, I mean I, it's it, it's it, 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 exactly, you know, they, it, it's been going on forever. You know, gamesmanship has always existed. It's as simple as that. It's always existed in every sport, by the way. And, you know, this is gamesmanship to the extremes at some point, you know, and I was there for the first leg. And it was there as well in the first leg, not probably as exaggerated as it was as in the second leg, but no. And, and I think, as was referenced before, you, you know, that was a you know a, a different type of test for City that that they managed to pass. So, no, I've got no um, I've got no qualms with, with that. You know, hey, listen, I, what it takes, what it takes, Jess, it, 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 is, is that's what referees and officials are there for. They're there for they're there to deal with that sort of. It's very difficult to understand that, but they're there to deal with that. You know, had. For example, Felipe being sanctioned earlier on for the challenge on Foden, then things might have been a bit different. But once maybe they sense that they could get away with certain things, then you keep going, don't you? You keep pushing it. I mean, it, it, it's like Simon referencing, you know, about Thiago, for example, maybe could have been sent off against Liverpool. Well, you know, if he gets booked for the first one, he doesn't commit the second one. I mean, I mean, that, that's. That, that's that's just logic, isn't it? So so it's up to the referee. What about the third, about the third one, though? Would he commit the third one like he did? Well, you know, I mean, I mean, really, I mean, I, I, listen, hey, hey, I mean, I don't think much point going back in that, but really, I mean, I didn't see anything particularly nasty in, in, in that particular game. But you know, in terms of last night, um, it was fully expected. City got the results, so no. So in answer to the question, no qualms with it. What he's done for Atletico Madrid is we might not like it. But their fans certainly seem to like it. I, I, I can tell that by. I mean, I mean, I, I got into the car last night and and and, and it went over to the uh, Metropolitano, and I think you could still hear them then. It's about an hour and a half after the game had finished. So, so, so fair play. So, so no, it, it's simple. I've got, I've got no qualms with that. Simon, down the recent years, we've watched a lot of City. We've seen a lot of wonderful football, great goals from great players. Did we see a different sight than last night? They needed to produce a different type of performance and one of grit and determination and fight and character. And, you know, John Stone was obviously immense last night at the back for City, which is great news for Gareth Southgate heading towards the World Cup. Um, did we see a different manner to their performance in terms of, you know, the sort of performance you need sometimes if you're going to go on and go on and win, win, win a competition as big as the European Cup? You know what? In a, in, a, in a strange way, it reminded me of the game at Anfield in, um, in 2018 uh, when Liverpool took the tie away from City in the first half hour. Now Liverpool that night, you know, they, they were aggressive. You know, in a way that you can only kind of say, "Wow!" You know, they were just on the front foot from the start. Three goals in the first half hour, and they, you know, the, the tie was basically over. Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't that kind of. Um, ferocity they faced last night. They, they basically Atletico came with the idea that they could kick City out of the game and, and were and were allowed to do it. We saw at Anfield City were blown away. Um, this time they dug in, and we did see a, a different a different side to the city, to City that I've not really seen before in terms of just making sure they got out there with the with, with the right result. And Andy's right. If Felipe had been booked. In the first few minutes, and he should have been booked. It was a, a horrendous challenge. You know, it was a dangerous challenge. He should have been booked. I think that maybe calms the game down. But we saw in the last few minutes that the Etihad, what, what Atletico, we, we, we saw a change of tap from Atletico in that game where Grealish came on and they just put the boot in, into him straight away. Um, they seem to be obsessed with his hair. 
seem to be obsessed with Jack Grealish. I don't know whether they, you know, I, I don't know what he's done, whether he's he's said something derogatory about Atletico Madrid at, at some point. I wouldn't have thought so. But, you know, for, for Phil Foden bore the brunt of it last night. And, and the, the, one, the, the one thing that Guardiola will be disappointed with is City's inability to kind of keep hold of the ball for any any great length of time last night, especially in the second half. Um, and you, you wonder whether some of the players were kind of looking over the shoulders at what was coming coming in because the referee gave them very little protection. Um, uh, you know, and I think one eye was on was on which boot was coming in and, and one eye was on the ball. But it was it was a different a different city last night. But I, I think they will pay the price this weekend because they I was were just gonna ask you, do you think given the, the, the midweeks that Liverpool and City have had very different challenges, do you think that gives Liverpool the edge going into Saturday? Well, you know, because of the first leg, Jurgen Klopp was able to make changes, which he did last night. I think, Seven, Guardiola, yeah. I think Guardiola made two changes last night to his team that played Liverpool. And that game against Liverpool last weekend, like I say, was just ferocious from start to finish. There was a different kind of ferocity. It was brutal last night. Um, but you, can, you know, going back to that, I was kind of excited and horrified in equal measure. It was, you know, you were kind of watching it through the fingers of your hands. The, the challenges going in, but it didn't have to get the pulse rate pulse rate up, and um, it was you know Andy's right about you know there being sort of shades in football. That's what the game's all about. So you know, it was, I feel sort of quite ashamed to say, but it, you know it was one of the most compelling games of the season because you didn't know what was going to happen next. And, you know, and, and, and even yeah. in the tunnel. But, um, sorry, Andy, go because on. we don't because we don't because we don't see those games week in week out. We don't see in the Premier League. You know, we tend to see City or Liverpool turn up and when they're playing opposition that maybe, you know, aren't expected to beat them. And let's face it, even though they're a league of champions, you know, City were favourites for that overall tie against Atletico Madrid. Um, and they're not just going to roll over. We see too many teams sort of accept quite meekly their fate, you know, and, 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 and try and keep the scoreline respectable. So we don't see that type of game, do we, in the Premier League? And we probably wouldn't see it because to be perfectly honest with you, Simon's right about the refereeing. You know, we probably, whether we think our refereeing is any good or not, we probably wouldn't see a referee allow that game to develop as it developed last night. But, you know, listen, the, the, the games we remember in the, in the Premier League, you know, with fondness, uh, games like, you know, Manuel Arsenal games, aren't they? You know, we remember games when you know, there's a tunnel bust-up. We love a tunnel bust-up. You know, and, and strange enough, the great contrast, of course, the brilliant contrast is you've got two epic games, Man City versus Atletico Madrid in Madrid, and you've got tunnel bust-offs, you've got Grealish, you know, I mean, getting his hair pulled or whatever. Yeah, on Sunday, after an epic game, the only chance of, you know, it'd be stroking each other's hair, never mind pulling it, you know. I mean, they finish the game, and they're all best mates, you know, and, and these are all Liverpool and Man City, and which is nothing wrong with that, the utmost respect between the players. These are players who, off the pitch, socialise. You know, there was, there was, a, there was a, a, a read somewhere about you know, the whole Portuguese-speaking um, um, contingent of players at Liverpool and Manchester City, you, you know, so that they are, are all, you know, a bit of a unit. You know, they, they live in a similar area, so so they'll all be together, Fernandino, you know, Alisson, and you saw that. You, I, I was watching the four Brazilians walking off, Alisson, Edison, um, Gabriel Jesus, Fabinho, and, and, you know, and, and they're, they're strolling off together. Um, you know, so... I'm not, I'm not, and I say there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but you know there's no chance of a tunnel bust up between Liverpool and Man City at the moment you know because of the 
great respect. And it's just yeah. nice to see different shades. You know, it's it's nice to see. You know, they, we talk about the Man City rivalry, Man City Liverpool rivalry, and it is a, a brilliant rivalry. It's not the sort of rivalry that we saw last night. The Simeone Guardiola rivalry, the Madrid Man City rivalry. That, no, that's a different can type just, of. Can I just throw a conspiracy theory in here? Right, a yeah. few years ago, um, a mutual friend of, uh, of of mine and Jeremy's invited me to. You know how, how much I uh, how much respect and, and love I've got for referees. Well, I was invited to a meeting of I think it was a Rotherham and District FA referees meeting where Graham Paul was the guest of honour, right. and. Uh, and one of the questions levelled at, at, at Graham was um, take us back to that game between Arsenal and Man United at Highbury where there was the Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira tunnel bust up. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and Graham Paul said, um, I saw what happened. I was basically what I should have done by the letter of the law was to send both Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira off. And both teams would have had to start the game with 10 men. The reason I didn't was because I was mindful that this was the biggest game of the season between the, the Premier League two best teams, a possible title decider, and you know what would have been the headlines the following day that the referee ruins it for you know how how many billions watching it round watching it round the globe. Now I just wonder whether referees. I don't know whether there's a clear instruction, but I just wonder whether referees are mindful that they've got this you know for want of a better word duty to try and make the game uh, or keep the game as a spectacle. Um, and, and that's why there's a kind of reluctance maybe to dish out the cards too early because it, it, it takes away from, the, you know, the product. Um, you know, just going back to, you know, that they, they were Graham Paul's own words as to why he didn't yeah. uh, act in the right manner a few years ago. Simon, thanks for that. I'll now scrub chapter six from the uh, book transcript. <laughs> Matt, 24 hours earlier we saw the beautiful side of the game page story so you, you know it was out there anyway <laughs> Matt you were in Madrid on um, Tuesday night to see the beautiful yeah, side of the game yes um, that was one heck of a performance from Chelsea it didn't get them through ultimately but you have to say that was one of the great performances in Europe from a Chelsea team yeah great team performances and I think that was key um, Tuchel got his tactics right uh, this time, um, they they managed to create small overloads all over the pitch, and um, oh, I've upset Andy. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I was just about to say I agreed with him about his uh, assessment of the, of the other game, but uh, but he's gone now. Um, uh, yeah, no, they created overloads over the pitch, uh, and what was key ultimately between the diff- the key difference between the two teams was Real Madrid had better stars than Chelsea in Benzema um, in, Modric. Um, and Modric, who, you know, uh, coming up with 37 in a couple of months' time, uh, you know, can play a pass like he did to dig Real Madrid out of a hole because for everyone saying how noisy the Bernabeu was, when that third goal went in, it was only the noise was just coming from one corner. You know, they, they were going out at that stage and then he produces a pass like that to uh, to, to effectively save their... Save save their tie, um, and then at the other end, and the last member of the team um, that I think was the difference, and, and you've got to go back to the first leg for this was between Mendy and uh, and Courtois. Um, Mendy didn't have his first best game in the first leg by any stretch, uh, and Courtois just looked like he had enough to keep you know Chelsea at bay. So while they did everything they could, they fought hard, they worked hard, 
you know, it was just those individuals and Benzema in particular, um, you know, mm. four goals scored against them. You know, <laughs> he's always, there's a fair chance he's going to end up on the winning side, isn't there? Yeah, Matt, Matt, can I just ask you as well, do you think the way Tuchel worked out the problems from the first leg, which obviously came from the midfield at Stamford Bridge, where they got overrun, mm. he worked that out, he came up with a different formula, mm. um, you know, and overall, I think Chelsea, no, I think no one would argue the fact that probably Chelsea played well enough to go through. They outplayed Madrid for long spells. Do you think that performance on Tuesday outlines just how a crucial Tuchel remains to Chelsea moving forward, whoever the whoever the owners appear to be? Crucial Tuchel, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, I think it's funny. I did. I actually put in my uh, rewrite. It just felt like the Chelsea going out like of the of the Champions League. It finally felt like it was the end of the Abramovich era. Um, it, it was kind of his money had got him this far in the Champions League. Uh, and at the end of it, they, it wasn't sort of bankroll glory, the, the Champions League. But it was a really, a, a, whatever's gone on behind the scenes, um, I think Tuesday night vindicated Tuchel's ability as a manager um, because there were questions asked about the way he went about the first leg. And and it also underlined the sort of honesty and integrity of those Chelsea players who, you know, regardless of who you play for or who pays your wage check, they put in some fantastically mm. honest performances that, that could only be applauded because, it you know, it's a hell of a place to go and try and, you know, outrun a team um, and outplay a team and, and, you know, it, it was all credit to Chelsea that that whole game. And ultimately, if Mendy sticks the ball out to touch in that first game, you know, Chelsea are through. It's, it's it's all come back down to that one silly error because Chelsea actually played better than that three-one scoreline in the first leg. Um, and if that had been a two-one, then then obviously we're in a different territory. And uh, and yeah, in a very narrow and, and correct, by the way. Um, VIR decision on the handball for Alonso. I thought it was sort of Alan Kennedy revisited against Real Madrid when the left back comes in and does the magic. But uh, but no, that was rightly ruled out. And the only thing I would say, sports it a little bit, and I wish he'd had a few more breaths before he did his press conference, was I, I, I don't think, uh, I, I, you know, in the same way that Guardiola was absolutely right not to get involved last night, uh, you know, in the press conference. Right, the referee. Much as we all want him to, as journalists, you know, actually, he he knows that we'll all write anything that he could say, uh, and he kind of took the the higher moral ground. I thought Tuchel's comments about the referee were a little bit disappointing afterward, mm. and I could see how he was hurt by it and felt there was some sort of conspiracy theory. But I, I wish he'd had a couple more breaths before he come in and to the press yeah. conference and said that because it's just kind of put a, a bit of an edge on a very honourable evening for the club. Andy, people um, keep banging on about Real Madrid being an ageing team, but, you know, Benzema scored 38 goals this season for Real Madrid. And Modric, I mean, he produced one pass, um, a crucial pass for a crucial goal, which probably will go down as the pass of the season. Are we naive in keeping, you know, are we naive in thinking that they are... You know they'll come up short, and they won't. They won't be good enough to go on and win, win, win this competition. Um, I don't think we're naive. I think we're just realistic. You, you know, we we are just realistic. I, you know, from what I've seen over the two legs. First of all, you know, the reason why Chelsea Real Madrid was such a great tie is because it's knockouts because of the jeopardy. 
it's 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 why you know it's why in in my idealistic world I'd just get rid of the group stages altogether and have knockouts all the way in the European Cup like it was in the past. Um, the yeah, with one sub, yeah, yeah, exactly, mate. You've got it. I mean, I, I mean, just digressing. You know, there was one reason why Klopp did what he did last night, just so he could put on the five subs, wasn't it? You know, okay, mate, we get your point. You say it every single press conferences, and now he was just proving it by getting his five subs on um, last night. Um, but yeah, could you, just going back to that. So yeah, I would have knockouts uh, um, competition all the way through. I mean, the, the, you know, the qualification stages are as dull as dishwater. So this is the jeopardy. And the fact of the matter is, is that and when Dunny talks about, you know, those moments, you know, the Mendy moments, you know, Rudiger could have done better for that. You know, Rudiger slipping in, in, in that game. That's all what happens in, in, in cup football. It's fantastic. And that's what can happen. It can happen that, that a team comes back in the last minute, takes it to extra time, you know, and, and that's as good a football match. We talked about that Man City Liverpool game at length on Sunday. Well, you know, I, I mean, I think there's a good argument to say that Real Madrid-Chelsea on, on Tuesday was a more compelling um, and a better game than, than than the one that we'd seen only two days previously at the Etihad. So that's what cup football produces. So that's fantastic. But if you're saying are we naive about Real Madrid, well, we're not naive. You know, they're, they're, they're top of La Liga. They've got some, some some fantastic players. We're not naive. We're just realistic. And, and, the, and the realism is that... On the, you know, on the balance of play, and, and the great thing is that doesn't necessarily count for qualification for progression. Chelsea were the better team. You know, Chelsea were the better team in the second half at, at Stamford Bridge, and they were a better team for most of the game on Tuesday. And and and, and that is the standard. You know, I mean, there's no getting away you, from that. As much as it, sorry, do you fully expect? Do you fully expect City to to beat Madrid in the semi final? I don't fully expect them to beat them. I I, I would suggest they are a, they they are a favourites, and I think you know I don't know what the odds are. Well, I know they'll be favourite, but I don't know by how strong. But yeah, I would suggest that City would be a if we're talking percentage terms, I would probably give it 60-40, you know, in favour of Manchester City. You know, I mean, when you say ageing team, they have some ageing players there, but they're still a very competent team with, with you know, a lot of danger. Vinicius Jr., I think, is one of the most exciting talents in yeah. Europe. Just the Modric pass. You know the guy I really feel sorry for? And uh, not feel sorry for him, but, you know, the Modric pass, the pass of the whatever it is, you know, season, decade, century, or whatever... You know what? If I'm the guy who scores, I'm thinking, well, it still need a meeting on the volley and finishing. The poor guy. It's as if it's as if he just had to fall over it to knock it in. So Rodrigo, where's Rodrigo? Was it? Because I don't know. Because he yeah, barely mentioned. Yeah. I mean, if this pass went, I don't know, went straight in, went out, got the shop, and came back, you know, and whatever, and went in the net. It is the most. No, no, I can't say it because I get pelters. I'm not saying overhyped pass because it's not overhyped. It's a fantastic pass, but it's as if this guy just didn't have to do anything. You know, how many times have we seen people miss, you know, from that range? It was still quite an expert finish from the guy, and he doesn't get a mention. I mean, he she does not get a mention. When people are talking about that goal, it's like, you know, it's the Modric pass. But, you know, he is, still, he is at a certain age, Modric, and 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 you would, you would like to think, you would think that logically, you know, wonder pass apart, would City's... Um, you know, with City's game, you know, presuming that, that they can, that there's still adequate reserves of energy from the incredible schedule that they've got, is City's game too high octane for someone like Modric? You, you know, yeah. you know, he won't get. He, he, won't, he, he would like to think that he certainly won't have time to sort of like start caressing yeah. passes from the outside of his right boots. 
um, in that game. So we're not being naive, Jeremy. No, we're being realistic. And realistically, Liverpool and Manchester City, whoever had met Real Madrid, would be favourites for that game. And that's and that's not buying naive. And it's not unusually us being with a self-inflated um, view of the Premier League. That's just fact. Simon, just back to Chelsea. They play Palace on Sunday in the semi-final, mm-hmm. second semi-final of the FA Cup. Do you think Tuchel needs to win the FA Cup this season to try and make the season a success? And if he if he if he does win the FA Cup, can Chelsea look back on a season and say, "Well, it's been a successful season. We've won a we've won a trophy." Is that enough? I think if you win a trophy any season, then it, it has to count as a successful season. Uh, you know, I think we've kind of lost our way a little bit in kind of writing off the domestic cup competitions. But you only have to look at the fact that, you know, the top three teams in the Premier League are in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. Palace have had a great season. So, you know, there's real value in this competition. And I think if Chelsea lifted the cup, I think it would represent a, a successful season for them, even if they hadn't, hadn't have had all the problems off the pitch that they've had to contend with. Um, it hasn't worked for previous Chelsea managers, though, has it, winning the FA Cup? Um, so, you know, <laughs> oh, Man United managers, pal, for that. Yeah. So, which I think is just a kind of, um, you know, another sad uh, example uh, of where the game has got to, where, you know, it's Champions League qualification, uh, which Tuchel, you know, will get, uh, winning the Champions League and winning the Premier League. And that's all people seem to have their, their minds on. But you ask any group of supporters... Seeing seeing the captain of your team lift a, a trophy at Wembley is always special, um, and uh, yeah, I think if Tuchel wins the FA Cup, they, they, Chelsea should see it as a, as a as a good season and a successful season. Matt Romelu Lukaku wasn't in Madrid um, this week; he was injured. Um, he didn't start the game in the first leg. He didn't start the subsequent league game. Um, well, he's missing in action, Romelu Lukaku. Ah. How do you see that scenario panning out in the summer? Will he still be at Chelsea next season? It looks to me like as long as Tuchel um, remains manager, the, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's an ongoing issue there between player and manager. Oh, of course there is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it, it didn't start with the interview, but the interview that he gave brought it to light because it was an interview that, that could have been swept under the carpet it could have been, uh, yeah, no, he said it at the time. He was disappointed. We're moving on. But but Tuchel chose to make it an issue. And it was clear that he had some sort of bugbear about the Lukaku's attitude. I'm not sure what it is. Um, but, yeah, the, the two don't work. It doesn't work. The system doesn't work. It was never going to. Uh, you can't spend $100 million on someone just to throw on for the last 10 minutes. You know, uh, it's just the whole dynamic was 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 strange. Um, it was the wrong amount of money spent on the wrong player, or you know, too much money spent on the wrong player. Uh, and yeah, the, the, the Tuchel will stay. And uh, with this takeover, whoever it is who gets in charge, I think money's going to be a lot more at a premium than it was before. And they're not going to let someone who's uh, you know a hundred million asset, possibly slightly less than that now, but not much less. They're not going to let him rot in the the reserves. And and you know, it's and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lukaku himself's desperate to get back to Italy if he can. Uh, you know, it's only going one way. Is this? It was a bad. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I mean, why, why wouldn't he? There's no one's interest to keep him at Stamford Bridge.
Andy, can we just before we finish, can we just have a quick look at the um, the Premier League games this weekend? Um, Arsenal have let slip a, a fourth slot to just big rival Spurs. Three in the last four they've lost Arsenal um, following that great run they were on under Arteta. Do you think they're paying the price now for for the inexperience they have? As a manager, the manager they have is relatively inexperienced. The squad's relatively inexperienced. They didn't do much in January transfer window. Do you think that might come back to bite them in the in the final scenario? Yeah, I, I do. Just before just before I come on to Arsenal, just just quickly nipping back to the uh, to the FA Cup semi finals and the um, and the Champions League semi finals. It's funny we could have had had Chelsea got the results that probably their play deserved. We could have had Liverpool, City, and Chelsea in in both sets of um, semi-finals, and, and and you know it's a discussion for another podcast. I think which we, we, is it are, are is every neutral looking for the Crystal Palace Villarreal double? You, you know it, it's in in a way you talk about Palace and about the FA Cup, and we talk about how much it means. But I'll tell you what, it means an awful lot to Crystal Palace and Crystal Palace fans, and the Champions League. I'm sure would mean an awful lot to Villarreal fans, and I just think that you know on the we're almost the are we. Around about the anniversary of the Super League announcements, uh, yeah, just gone. Yeah, just gone as a yeah. You know, I, I'd just like to put out there that the, the, um, the, if you're a football fan and you haven't got um, skin in the game, as they say, then then you should be uh, um, back in that. Well, trying to hope for that Palace Villarreal double. Um, don't, give Arsenal, column, don't give all of your column away, pal, for tomorrow. <laughs> oh, that's an idea, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just, I've got the, I've got the dictaphone on. You know, one of those ones that just transcribes it into notes. Um, yeah, so uh, onto that. Um, Arsenal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything you said is right. They're, they're paying for, you know, maybe not the right recruitments or not the recruitments in general. Plus, you know, don't forget. They have had injuries as well, you know, and I understand they've left themselves exposed to injuries in the, in, the, in the sense that their first team, you know, beyond that, they haven't got maybe as much strength and depth. Well, they say they haven't got much strength and depth as, uh, as the, as the uh, you know, the established elites um, have got. Um, and they have had injuries, you know, and, and that's, a, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, and really where they are now in the league, and I would suggest that the points that they've got now, the position they're in now, if we if we'd have said, you know, um, I don't know, back in October, that Arsenal would be still in with, you know, um, an extremely good chance of getting that fourth place. Yeah. I don't think they I think Spurs will get that. Then they would have taken that, you know. And I think they are where we we expect them to are. The disappointing thing is, haven't had a good run. They've had these two um, poor results, you know, and getting beat. But we haven't said that, you know. Again, it's so easy just to. You know, to be knee jerk about this, you know, getting beat at home by by Brighton. Considering Brighton's run, obviously it looked bad. You know, Brighton couldn't couldn't buy a, a goal, never mind a win prior to that for some considerable time. But you know, I watched the highlights of that game. Okay, only the highlights. You know, and I was extremely impressed with some of the football Brighton played. You know, and Brighton can go to somewhere like Arsenal and win. You know, and Brighton might well, for example, you know, turn up at the Etihad next Wednesday, whenever it is. Against a city team that that, that that have had an unbelievable, unbelievable seven days of football. I mean, you know, I mean, but they do go on about schedules. That's some schedule both Liverpool and City. Obviously, Liverpool have had the advantage of playing the reserves last night, but City to do Liverpool, let's go Liverpool. 
is, you know, and Brighton could turn up and produce an upset there. So, you know, I don't think we should be too knee-jerk about it. I think, you know, and say, well, they've blown it. They are where I think they probably would have optimised at the start of the season. So I wouldn't I wouldn't get too panicky. But uh, Spurs, you, you know, are now playing the sort of football that you expected them to play under Conte and have individuals who are absolutely flying, absolutely flying. You know, and in some... Yeah. We 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 will all be asked, and I think it's quite right that we uh, that we wait for a little while to see maybe how the games go this weekend. But it's it's coming up, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks when we will all have our deadline for voting for football of the year. And you know, on the quiet, on the quiet, you know, he doesn't get whatever. But I mean, Son has to be a contender. I bet he's about hundred to one, but he has to be a contender. They've got big players playing well at the moment, Spurs. That's why I think they'll um, they'll nick that race for both. Simon, uh, four straight wins for Tottenham. Conte's got a world of experience under his belt in these six scenarios. Um, do you think they're hitting the straps at the perfect time? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I, I think that the hope for Arsenal is obviously Tottenham have got to go to Liverpool, um, which you know is, it will be a huge game for, for both clubs. We saw how Conte. Um, Managed to um, you know take three points away from the Etihad, so that's that's going to be one of the big games of the running. But it, both teams have been so kind of um, inconsistent this season that you know they could easily go to a game, go into a game where you'd expect them to win and, and, and drop points. So you know that race for the for fourth place is going to be just as exciting as the, the race for the, mm. the title, which is great. Um, and it's all heading, isn't it, towards May the twelfth? At, um, at the, at the uh, Tottenham Stadium, you know, the North London derby. Um, one thing I will point out is that Tottenham have got a far healthier goal difference than Arsenal, which, uh, you know, given that it's been, you know, it looks like it's going to be nip and tuck for the last seven, eight games of the, the season, could could be decisive in the final analysis, really. Yeah. Matt, you, you, uh, you know a lot about Tottenham, you, you cover a lot of games. You know Harry came pretty well. Would would if they get in the top four, would um would that be in, in Champions League football? Would that be enough to keep Kane? Or does he want more than that? Uh, this summer, yeah. Yeah. Could, I don't know would, he, make, would that be enough to keep him this summer? Yeah, this summer, yeah. Because right. of the World Cup. Then why is he gonna take a massive gamble on his career three months ahead of what will be the biggest tournament of his life? Why would um, it be a gamble if you move clubs? Well, because he could go somewhere and it not work out for him. He could become the, the new Romelu Lukaku, playing in the wrong system for the wrong manager. Yeah, these things happen. You have a loss of form. He's only ever, you know, he's done a couple of loan spells, but then he's played for Spurs. He knows where he is. He knows what Conte wants. And that's providing Conte stays. That's the other condition. Harry, Harry Kane could go, could go and play in the Withenshaw Sunday League for three months and he'd still be first on Gareth Southgate's. Mm. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah. would he be playing as well as Harry Kane would want to be playing? That's the thing. Um, yeah. And uh, and I think that's key to to it. Um, yeah, no, so I don't see there's any. Yeah, I don't see who's going to come in for him wh- where the grass is going to look that much greener. You know, people say, you know, I want to go to United to win things. Well, where's your evidence of that? You know, it's frying pans and fires, isn't it? Um, but unless they, of course, uh, do appoint the 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 latest answer to Frank de Boer. Um, but uh, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think Kane's going to be there for for this summer. Um, Champions League football, um, especially, would would nail it. Even if they don't and Conte stays, I still think there's a chance because I don't. I'm not sure where he's going to have the options 
Um, and, and I think that World Cup's going to loom large in his thinking. And, and even if he disappears in January, if Spurs are struggling again, then uh, I just think, you know, why, why risk? The clock, the clock is ticking on Kane, though, isn't it? He's heading towards 30. Yeah, yeah. You know, does he, does he, does he need to leave Spurs to achieve what he wants to achieve? Yeah, he does, but he needs to have somewhere to go. So, so who's going to? I mean, City. Simon might know better, but I'm not sure City are going to sign him. We've got a new generation of strikers coming through. He's going to be behind Haaland in the backing order, and Mbappe. You know, he's got to find somewhere to go. So, you know, ambitious clubs, top, top, top clubs, are going to go for those younger names potentially before they go for Kane. So, might Chelsea be interested if Lukaku leaves? Um, I don't know if Kane would go. I mean, that's the sort of mistake that that he could, would Kane fit into that team. I mean, he fits into most teams because he finds a way to play. But but you know, it's I, I don't know whether Chelsea will have that much money post Abramovich um, to to win that sort of race. Um, and there's also the Spurs Chelsea thing. I don't know if if Kane would do that yeah. just three months before a World Cup. Yeah, okay. I don't know where he goes to where he goes to win things. It's hard to believe, isn't it? They were discussing England captain, one of the great strikers of the modern game. We're struggling to find him a club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit with Matt in, in the sense that I, I, I don't know. I, I just wonder. I do wonder if, if you know, he's clearly enjoying his football at the moment. You know, and if, if Spurs play that sort of football from from the get go next season, you know, they'll be competitive. Um, you know, it's not, you know, I mean, let, let's always remember it's not like he's got a hard life at Spurs, is it? You know, in terms of, you know, he, he's, he's extremely well remunerated. The next contract, if he did decide, listen, if he did stay at Spurs this summer, then there'd be a new contract on the table. And, you know, let's face it, it would be as good as any contract, I suspect, in the Premier League. But would he you know? not be a travesty, um, Johnny? Would he you know, not he be a travesty? It's listen to me. Sorry. I was just going to ask you, would it not be a travesty if Kane oh, finishes his career without winning anything? A player that good. A travesty for who? For himself. Well, it, it, it happens, it, it happens, doesn't it? You know, you, you know, would it be, would it, would it look as though he was just, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you what would be a fantastic thing for his career. I'll tell you what would be, would, how would it look? How would it look if, if he, he merely went to, he decided that he had to win something, so he goes to a team that are guaranteed a trophy, i.e. Manchester City. Now, how noble, how good is that on your CV? I'll tell you what would look good. I'll tell you what, what would look good. It wouldn't be a travesty. What would be good if Harry Kane inspired Tottenham to win a Premier League, inspired Tottenham to win a Champions League? If he stayed... I remember Klopp a few years back saying about players who... Talking about players who want to go... They want to jump on a moving train that's going in one direction. I.e., you know, they, 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 you know, they won't sign for a club unless that club are going to win things. He prefers people who are going to push the train. And and you know, and I thought it was a great analogy. You, you know, yes, would it be well for Kane? It might be disappointing if he hasn't got a, a, a Premier League winners' medal. You, you know, to go with all his other individual accolades and the riches that he's accrued from Tottenham Hotspur. What would look far better? I mean, you, you know, if, if he. And his leadership, his goals inspired Tottenham Hotspur, along with the, as Donny you know, says, and this is crucial, the managerial um, input of Antonio Conte. Imagine if those two combined to win Tottenham Hotspur a Premier League title. 
a first division title. Imagine that. Now that would be worth that would be worth five titles if he went to Manchester City. If he went to Manchester City now and played until he was 34 and won five league titles, staying at Spurs and winning one would be of more value than those five. So maybe he thinks about it that way. And as I say, it's not like it's a hardship to stay at Spurs, is, is it? You know, they right. went to and won 4-0 on Saturday and he flew off and he was greenside in August the, the next day. You know, and I'm thinking, like, well, you know, it, it's it, it, the life isn't too bad, too shabby for the moment. He's captain of England. So the idea that, well, your career, there's going to be something missing if you haven't won a Premier League with a team that is, that is you know, steamrolling other teams with, with, with a, a considerable amount of financial muscle. Yeah. Guys, let's let's throw one more ingredient into the mix. I think Son needs to make sure he stays. There's no suggestion he won't, but I think Son, Son, Kane, and Conte are the three key ingredients for a successful Spurs. Yeah, that shows their ambition. It shows that that yeah they can do something. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, Guys, on the schedule it says, and finally, in in honor of Chelsea's wonderful victory um, in Real Madrid. Uh, this week the greatest comebacks to end well fairly would be a harsh description but great comebacks that didn't actually count in the end Simon well I told you before we came on what, yeah. what mine was but I've, I've actually changed my mind I've actually you found didn't. a better one you didn't tell us anyway yeah, you, you were late coming coming to the party Donnie that's why oh, sorry. My, my initial one was going to be the night oh, so now you're having two it was the 1993 playoff final between Swindon and Leicester. Swindon 3 0 up. Leicester pull it back to 3 all. Uh, David, uh, Leicester pull it back to 3 all. Um, then David Ellery gives um, an extremely dodgy penalty. You can watch it on YouTube. And Paul Bowden scores to send Glenn Hoddle's Swindon to the Premier League. But I've changed it. Because while you were um, during the course of uh, our debate this morning uh, on my Twitter feed, I found discovered that Lekeep named Stefan Savage their man of the match um, for the Atletico Man City game last night. Described his performance as serene. Believe it or not, this is the guy who, who was going Lost in translation. Foot, I think uh, butted Raheem Sterling, dragged Phil Foden off the pitch. Now you guys have been here before. Those ratings were definitely fouled at half time. <laughs> the production guys have definitely said file 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 ratings at half time because in no way did that does that take into account. Or maybe, or maybe they meant to, it was a typo and they meant to say obscene instead of serene. Maybe, but you know, for comebacks to, to be named man of the match after some of the the kind of shenanigans um, he got up to, but ultimately lost the game. So yeah, it's got to be uh, Stefan Savage. Matt. Uh, I'm going to go for a more straightforward one. Uh, it's the uh, and only one because it seems fair to everyone else. Um, the 1979 Cup final, um, which was a very boring two nil win for Arsenal um, until the 86th minute. Um, straightforward enough. And then in, the, in a, it's been dubbed the five minute Cup final because then in the 86th minute, Gould McQueen scored a header for United, and it's all oh, perhaps the comebacks on. And then, sure enough, Sammy McElroy dribbles around a couple of Arsenal players, two all, and we think, wow, this is great extra time. But no, uh, despite their attempts at a comeback, Alan Sunderland pops up at the far post, uh, and it's three two Arsenal all within that five minutes. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. So there you go. Straightforward one. Nothing to do with pulling hair or or listing um, man of the match marks. And he had a fair, he had a fair head of hair, didn't he, Alan Sunderland? To be fair, he certainly. Yeah, to be fair, that was of that era, though, wasn't it? So everyone, I think everyone had a fair yeah, head. Everyone liked not that. I tell you I'm what, Savage 90... never going to pull my hair. I'm Andy? going for the 90. I'm going for the 1993 uh, football league cup final between Swindon uh, the playoff against Swindon and Leicester. When it's three, oh no, sorry, <laughs> mate. He's already, he's already done that one as well as doing another. Uh, but I tell you what, I was just thinking. Like, I mean, it wasn't so much. It wasn't a great comeback, but they did sort of come back within that within that particular game. Um, it was you know the, the match of the decade, the Liverpool Newcastle uh, game at Anfield in in '96. I say it wasn't. A, they did come back from. You know, I think I think I think Fowler opened the scoring, didn't they? And then um, who equalised for Newcastle? It might have been a spree. Uh, I think Ginla put them ahead, and Fowler scores again. They come back again to go 3-2. And then, of course, we all know what happened from there. Liverpool um, equalised, then Collymore with the winner in stoppage time. And, like, you know, you just, no matter how many times I've watched that game, you know, it is just, it is just, just the names, you know, the names there, the, 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 the trip off the tongue, you know, Fowler, Espria, um, Ginola. It was just, Collymore, it, it, it was just, you know. And it was a night game as well, wasn't it? Sorry? It was a nighttime game as well, which added to the sort of atmosphere. It was a nighttime game, and of course, it preceded by about what would have been a fortnight later. Maybe we had the Keegan. I love it outburst. Um, uh, probably a fortnight later. Uh, it was just you know everything about that night, you know, and just and again, like you know that the feeling that, that like you know you, you've almost done enough, and then the image of Keegan, you know, um, head bowed, head go. And down on the uh, on the opposition bench, out of all places, Anfield was just, was just absolutely brilliant. And and, and you know, it, we've seen some great games recently, but you know, they'll all go some to match that and to match comebacks that haven't really um, materialised in the end. Yeah, brilliant. The disagreeing this week has been so intense that we've overrun on the clock. <laughs> so I'm going to have to call time on that, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks to Simon. Thanks to Andy. And thanks to Matt. Uh, Thanks to everyone for watching and listening and hopefully we'll see you all next week. Thank you very much.